412 years ago, the first Christmas card was sent. So the world's first Christmas card. It was sent to King James I by one of his subjects in 1611. It was handmade with the following greeting. A greeting on the birthday of the sacred king. Now, folks, that's not referring to James. That's referring to Jesus, King Jesus, the sacred king. So it goes on to say, To the most worshipful and energetic Lord and most eminent James, King of Great Britain and Ireland, and defender of the true faith, with a gesture of joyful celebration of the birthday of the Lord. In most joy and fortune, we enter into the new auspicious year, 1612. Now, I know, folks, that you mightn't just be as wordy as that when you're writing your Christmas cards. That's if you even still write Christmas cards. But isn't it good to think about that very first Christmas card in the history of the world And it speaks of Christ. And of course, every Christmas card should speak of him. So that's the world's first Christmas card. But tonight and over the weeks ahead, we're not so much interested in the world's first Christmas card. We want to think about heaven's Christmas card. Heaven's Christmas card was written long ago by the God of heaven. And this is what it says on the Christmas card. And uh, Jacob, you'll be able to bring up the words on the screen. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is born. Is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So there you have Heaven's Christmas card, or the very first Christmas card in history, the history of the universe. The very first Christmas card was sent from heaven to earth. And this wonderful Christmas card was sent from God to his people 700 years before the first Christmas took place. You see, don't we get annoyed when retailers begin preparing for Christmas a month or two early? Well, God prepared people for Christmas not a month or two before it happened, but centuries before it happened, so that they would be ready. So here is heaven's Christmas card, or the first Christmas card.
That's our study for this Christmas season. And uh, I tell you, good folks, I am sure that it's the message the Lord has for us. On the way out last night, somebody handed me a Christmas card. And you can guess what verse was on the front of it. Yeah, there it is. For unto us a child is born. And it's not the only time that I've seen this verse as I've been just going about my business over this last few days or this last week. It just seems to be that, that uh, here and there, this verse just seems to, to be there. It's just as if the Lord wants to draw our attention to us over the weeks ahead. So may the Lord help us as we delve into this wonderful verse of Scripture. Whenever someone writes a Christmas card, of course, they'll put on the card to so-and-so. Whoever they're sending the card to, to that person. Or if they have a lot of cards to write, the chances are that they'll maybe not write to on the inside, but they'll definitely write the address on the outside of the envelope. Otherwise, the the, the, the card's not going to get to the person. You know, here in Isaiah 9, verse 6, on the first Christmas card ever, there's the address, as it were. You see, notice what it says there. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Notice that little two-letter word, us. It's repeated. Us. Us. Who's the child born for? Us. Who's the son given to? Us. So it's just as if the Lord has written on his Christmas card to those people in new buildings. It's on to them. My son, the Savior, is sent to them. It reminds us, does it not, of Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, and no doubt we'll, we'll uh, hear it before Christmas is over, before Christmas is out. Luke 2 verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the angel there in Luke 2 was speaking to the shepherds, who, by the way, were despised. They were at the very bottom rung of society, despised by everyone else, but not despised by the Lord of glory. I want to tell you, dear friend, tonight, even if everybody else despises you, the Lord doesn't despise you. No, he sent his Son to be your Savior. And it's not his will that you should perish, but it's his will that you should come to repentance. So there the message was sent to the shepherds, to hard-working men out in the fields. And this message still comes today to hard-working people, and indeed to all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
which is Christ the Lord. Now, what about the greeting on, the, on this first Christmas card? There's a greeting here, folks, just as there's a greeting inside every Christmas card. You always see the greeting, the wording on the inside of the card. Well, what's the greeting here in Isaiah 9 and verse 6? For unto us a child is born. That's the first part of the greeting. A child is born. And then it goes on to say, Unto us a son is given. So there's two parts to this greeting. A child is born. That's the humanity of the Lord Jesus. He was a real person. Born into this world like every other child. But the only difference was he was born without original sin. There was not the slightest iota of sin in him. He had absolutely no desire for sin from the moment that he took his first breath in Bethlehem's manger until he gave up the ghost on Calvary's cross. Not the least desire, not the least appetite for sin. Completely different to us, of course, because by nature we have a bias towards sin. Sinning comes naturally. Sinning is what we want to do. Turning away from sin doesn't come naturally to us. That's not what we want to do. No, we're like the, the sow that loves to wallow in the mire. And that's the way it is with mankind. Man, as a sinner, is at his happiest when he's wallowing in the filth, in the filth of his sin. But there was something different about this little child that was born in Bethlehem's manger. A child is born. What a wonderful greeting to find inside a Christmas card. Heaven's Christmas card. Now you find that there are some Orthodox Jews who will come to Isaiah chapter 9 and they'll say, Oh, uh, by the way, this doesn't refer to the Messiah. No, this refers to Hezekiah. King Hezekiah. Isaiah 9 verse 6 isn't speaking about Jesus or Yeshua. No, this is just Hezekiah. Well, there is a, an application here for Hezekiah. That is one interpretation. And I believe that the prophet Isaiah, yes, he was speaking uh, partly about Hezekiah. But that's not the main person he was talking about. Ultimately, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about the Messiah. And it's so clear. I mean, how could you read Isaiah 9 verse 6 and say that this is not speaking about our Lord? It's so obvious. But yet you will find ultra-Orthodox Jews, because they know that it's so obvious and that it speaks of Christ... They will try to deny it by 
saying that it's referring to Hezekiah and not the Savior. Well, I beg to differ. I beg to differ tonight. Yes, in one sense, it does speak about Hezekiah, but it speaks about someone else, and there's someone else here in Isaiah chapter 9 who far outshines King Hezekiah, and it's King Jesus. He's the child who was born. You see, in Acts chapter 4, verse 27, the writer there speaks, listen, he he speaks of thy holy child, Jesus. Thy holy child, Jesus. What a child the Lord Jesus was. That little babe that was born in Bethlehem's manger was no ordinary child. I'm sure that as he became a toddler and as he grew up, I'm sure that Joseph and Mary often stood back in amazement at the child that had been entrusted to them. You see, this child never had a temper tantrum. You know how children, boy, they're good at having temper tantrums. And the tantrums come naturally to them. You don't have to teach them how to perform a tantrum. But not the Lord Jesus. There were no temper tantrums with him. And neither were there any pity parties. Boy, children are good at pity parties as well, aren't they? Feeling sorry for themselves and sulking and pouting and huffing. Mind you, there's some adults would outdo the children when it comes to pity parties. But I'll tell you, that little child who was born in Bethlehem and was reared in Nazareth, there was no pity parties with him. There was no laziness with him. He didn't have to be told to help out around the house to do the chores. No, he he just knew to do them. It was in his nature because he was the sinless, wonderful Lamb of God. Without sin, without spot, without blemish. There was no laziness in him. And again, I tell you, there's some children, and boy, they're lazy. Mind you, again, there's adults, and they're very lazy too. They're that lazy they wouldn't walk out of your way. You see, laziness comes naturally to the sinner. That's his default. But it wasn't found in Christ You consider his life. You think about his life. He was always busy. Always doing something. Acts chapter 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Every waking moment he was busy. Engaged in some ministry. In some service for others. And folks, it's good to be busy, isn't it? It's good to do what you can for the Lord. 
For life is short and it's very brief. And as the little hymn says, by and by, and I think someone sang it at the praise night, by and by when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. Now there was no temper tantrums with this, this child who was born. There's no pity parties with him. No laziness. Joseph and Mary never needed to chastise the Lord Jesus as a child. Not once. Didn't have to smack. Wasn't required. Discipline wasn't necessary. He was a dream child. He was an amazing child. The most amazing child who had ever been born. You see, folks... The, the, the name or the term that we would give to the Lord Jesus as a child was a prodigy. He was a child prodigy. In other words, there was no one like him. No other child was like him. He was so unique, so unusual. He was a child genius. With no comparisons, with no equals. No one could even come near to this child. A child is born. That's what the greeting is in Isaiah chapter 9. Of course, we're reminded, aren't we, of Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 8. And someone has said that these verses that I am about to read are like Mount Everest in the Himalayas. Mount Everest towers above the other mountains in the Himalayas. Well, these verses I'm about to read, they're just like that. They tower above other verses. They're so wonderful. Someone has said that these verses are like, uh, there's a, a, a mountain in the Swiss Alps. It's called the Matterhorn. Again, it towers above the other mountains. And these verses are just like that. Well, you're saying to yourself, I wish you'd get on with and read the verses. What are they? Well, here they are, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that was the ultimate destiny of the child who was born in the manger. His ultimate destiny was to go to Calvary's cross. So Isaiah the prophet says, For unto us a child is born. But what about the second part of the greeting? And this is all we'll have time for tonight, and we'll come to the rest of the verse in the weeks ahead. But what about this second half of the, this greeting? A son is given. A son is given. Who is it speaking about? Well, it's speaking about the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. Of course, we're reminded of John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. The only begotten Son. So John 3 is the equivalent to Isaiah 9 and verse 6 in the Old Testament. It's like a mirror image. Both speak about the Son. The Son. This wonderful person who came into the world that first Christmas. And when Isaiah speaks about a son being given, he's speaking about the divinity of Jesus. In other words, the fact that the little child born in the manger was God manifest in the flesh. Don't listen to the, J- to the JW's folks, for they'll tell you that he wasn't God. They'll tell you that he was created, and then God created everything else through Jesus. That's the notion they have. God first, God the Father first created the Son, and then through the Son, He created everything else and everyone else. Well, it's just a lie. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. So when they come to your door, you'll be ready for them. No, He's the divine Son of God. And he came into this world freely given by the Father to go to the old rugged cross to lay down his life for rebels and for wretches. You know, during the Second World War in America, whenever a family gave a son to the war, they received a blue star that they would hang in the window of their home. And if that son died on the battlefield during the Second World War, the family would receive a gold star just to highlight the fact that there's a family, there's a home that has sacrificed the life of their son for for the country and for the good of the country. And for the cause of freedom, the gold star was given to the families of the soldiers who laid down their lives during the Second World War. You know, there's a true story that's told about a little boy whose father had been called up to serve with the U.S. Army. And he was walking with his mother past a row of houses on one occasion during the war. And as he walked along, every now and then he would see a star hanging in a window of a home, and he would say, Mommy, there's a family that has given a son to the war. And he'd walk on down another little bit and see another star hanging in the window. And again, Mommy, there's another family that has sent a soldier to fight for our country. Well, whenever he came to the end of the row, he looked up into the night sky And there was a lone star shining in the sky. And turning to his mother, he said, Did God give a son too? Did God also give a son to the war? Well, you know, folks, the reality is that God did give a son to fight in the greatest war that has ever been fought. And that's the war that he fought at Calvary's cross for your soul and for my soul. 
When the Savior was born in Bethlehem, it was just as if God hung a blue star in his window. He had sent his son to fight the war so that sinners could be saved. But at Calvary, God hung not a blue star this time, but a gold star in his window. Because his son laid down his life so that you and I and all men everywhere could be saved. A son is given. Oh, that this Christmas time we would get on our knees and thank the Lord like never before for giving his son. And folks, we can't just leave it there. You've got to put feet to your prayers, don't you? That's why we're going out into the open air on Friday. We want people to know about the Son who has been given. The Son who has become our Savior. We want others to know about Him. Whether they accept the message or reject it, that's not our concern in the open air. Our simple and sole responsibility is to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a declaration now. Declaration of a great fact. That Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and he is Lord. And he's coming back to judge the world. And we want men and women everywhere to be ready. Thank God for the gift of his only begotten son. You know, folks, that phrase, the only begotten son, it can be translated as unique son. Christ was unique. There was no son like him. There never has been a son like him. There never will be a son like him. He is unique. And at the end of our study tonight, surely we should say with the hymn writer, how deep the Father's love for us, how how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Let's bow for a word of prayer, please.